0: Um, we are delighted to have um, John and Ellen Berger with us this morning. And um, as I've uh, communicated with you already, the Bergers um got some new things to talk about in terms of um, planning in Portugal, as you can see from their PowerPoint. And we're just so delighted to have them here with us this morning. Um, John and I have been friends for um, seven or eight years now. Um, through the Presbytery, John was formerly the associate pastor at New St. Peter's, one of our sister congregations in Dallas in the Presbyterian, John and I got to know each other through um, service in the Presbyterian. We served on the Theological Examining Committee together. And um, what about four or five years ago, um, you all started really discerning, um, thinking about a call to the mission field. And so the Burgers left um, for Bulgaria in 2019? That's right, yeah. Yeah, 2019, yeah. So about three and a half years ago, they moved there to Bulgaria and have been serving there as. You all know we've been uh, a partner congregation with um, the Burgers during that time. And they were here and visited us in 2018 and 2019 um, to share about their work. And we're so glad that they're um, uh, back in the States right now for a little bit. And we're excited to hear about what's next for them. So with no further ado, John and Ellen, we're glad you're here,
1: thankful. Come on up, take it away. Thanks, Josh. I think we're even though this is a lapel mic, if if you don't mind, we're just going to treat it like it's a handheld, so we can sort of pass back and forth this morning. Um, like Josh says, my name is John Berger. And this is my wife, Ellen. We got Emmy here with us this morning. Um, hi, <coughs> and then uh, Aubrey is back in uh, high school class. Um, but thank you so much for just welcoming us this morning. We're, we're excited to be able to share with you some of the things the Lord's done in the last few years, give you a little bit of an update on sort of what's happened in Bulgaria the last four years while we've been there, and then also explain some of the ways uh, the Lord has used to kind of transition us to, to another field. So here we are. This picture was taken. It's kind of uh, maybe not can't see it super well, but this picture was taken earlier this year. That's us looking similar to the way that uh, we do now um let's see if this works there it is this is where we were about probably the last time we saw you so the last time we were here we looked about we looked like this a little younger uh not as much gray hair up there on the top at least for me i've been looking at a lot of pictures of uh sort of where what we look like before we got on the plane to go to bulgaria and then i look at myself in the mirror now and i go yeah some stuff has happened so uh yep Uh, Not this. This is kind of the way things oftentimes look uh, in most churches. So my hair is not quite uh, like the guy on the right, but maybe I'm heading in that direction. Um, When we went to Bulgaria um, a few years ago, we went to work with the Elias Riggs Biblical Studies. So we were going primarily to do uh, theological higher education ministry. Um, This was sort of the board uh, there on the left that I worked with, uh, the gentleman on the far left was our, the guy who recruited us to MTW. He is not in Bulgaria anymore. He's actually working with a lot of Ukraine relief right now. So he works pretty closely with Doug Shepard. Um, but, uh, he was the guy in Bulgaria at the time and recruited us. And this was the board of Elias Riggs. It's kind of a, um, a ministry that kind of seeks to prepare pastors within the indigenous, uh, Protestant denomination that we work with there. And now this is sort of the board now on the right. So that's the board the way it was and I got there on the left. Uh, there's the board there on the right. Most of the same guys. We've we lost one or two members, gained a couple more, but uh those guys have just been faithfully serving uh um the ministry of, of Christian higher education in Bulgaria. Let's see us keep going ahead here. Okay. Great. It's kind of a picture of one of our classes. Uh, we try to put it online. Um, this is sort of, you know, a, it's kind of a good illustration of what a typical class looks like. It's more of a seminar style class where the teacher sits down kind of at the, at the end of, of a group of tables and then you just have students sitting around and it's very conversational. So the, the, the professor might sort of talk for a while but allow for lots of questions and conversation. I really like it, um, kind of a conversational style of teaching um, it allows sort of a good, a good sort of bringing together of moving forward in the content, but also letting students kind of dial in and ask questions that are pertinent to them. It's kind of, it fits kind of the Eastern European style of, 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 of learning. There we go. Um, the guy, the the two gentlemen, left and right, the ones sitting standing on the flank, those are two guys that have come through Elias Riggs and have been very connected with MTW's church plant in Bulgaria, uh, Boris and Nicky. And uh, these two gentlemen came out of actually, they were very much involved in the drug culture in Bulgaria, addicted to drugs, but got into a Christian rehab center. Um, were able to to sort of get, uh, become free of their addictions, came to know Christ through that rehab center, got involved in MTW's church there in Sofia, and then decided that they wanted to go to seminary. So both of these guys are now uh, full-time uh, pastoral interns with the MTW's church, and then they're also pursuing uh, degrees to prepare themselves for, for ministry. Um, this family, Nikki and Lubomir Valchev, um, they are church planters, and they're planting a new church, a Bulgarian church, um, in what is about Western Sofia. And, uh, and, and they are both students as well at Elias Riggs. Really love what's going on with their, their new church plant right now. Um, one of the other things we were doing while we were there was uh, special needs ministry. So Ellen would meet with uh, particularly a lot of families, Bulgarian families, that had um, children who who have special needs. Um, And so we have Alina here, uh, pictured with Ellen, and then her son, Victor, who uh, has autism. And Victor was in Emmy's class. So Emmy and Victor, you remember Victor, Emmy? And you guys would go to class together? Yes, you did, that's right. And you guys had class together sort of at a Montessori school But the reality is, in Bulgaria, they don't have um, a lot of education systems at all. In fact, they don't really have anything available for special needs kids. So, if you're a family in Bulgaria, regardless of whether you're Bulgarian or an expat, and you have children that that have special needs, there's really nothing educationally for your kids at all. You kind of just have to figure that out on your own. And so, most, uh, almost, you know, pretty much all Bulgarian families that are in that situation just keep their kids at home. There's nothing in the educational system for them. So this is Emmy in her, at her monastery school, and that's Zuzi, um, your, your headmistress at your school, Emmy. And um, uh, that's just where Emmy went to school for the last few years. Um, great school. Zuzi knows the Lord and just really, really was able to work with Emmy at the pre-K level But the problem is, uh, Emmy is aging out of kindergarten, and like I said, there's just nothing in the educational system for special needs kids like her. Um, So that sort of became a serious, serious issue for us as we're trying to figure out, what do we do? As we're moving forward, what do we do for Emmy educationally? Um, We even looked at schools in Bulgaria that were way, way, way out of our price range, Um, you know, have a, you know, a sticker (coughs) price that looks more like college. Um, and there's uh, nothing. Even at those schools, there's nothing for special needs kids. So that kind of sent us into sort of a season of prayer. Um, actually, I think that we skipped a slide. There we go. Oh. Um, that sent us through a season of prayer, trying to figure out, Lord, what would you have us do next? and um we even took some time we visited scotland as a possibility there's a lot of mtw work going on in scotland um we visited there early early 2022 Um, of course it's a beautiful country beautiful place to be but the work that they have going on there was just not they just didn't really need us um they a lot most of the slots that we would probably fill for them in ministry were already pretty well filled by other mtw missionaries or scottish pastors so, um, while we would have loved to live there, it just, wasn't, it just didn't make sense from a ministry standpoint for us to, to make that move. Um, we'd love to go back and visit, though. So, um, about, about, let's call it late winter, early spring, March kind of coming into April, we were like, okay, Lord, we're not going to go to Scotland. Um, what, what would you have us do? Do you want us to stay on the mission field? Um, do we need to go back to the United States? What would you have us do? And around that time, I got a call from the gentleman there on the left, Jason, Jason Owsley. And the, this couple um, w- uh, was a family that we got to know very, very well in, uh, uh, at New St. Peter's. So Josh just mentioned um, a little bit ago that I used to be the associate pastor at New St. Peter's Prez over in Dallas. And this couple was a uh, very um, important family a pillar family in our church there at New St. Peter's for many years. And in 2021, they moved to Lisbon. Um, They moved their family to Lisbon um, and have been living there now for the last year and a half. And Jason called me um, this last spring, right after we came back from Scotland. He didn't know what we were going through. He didn't even know that we were trying to figure out whether or not we could even stay in Bulgaria. But he just called me and he said, well, John, you're kind of the guy that we know inside MTW, and we just have a question. Um, there, he said, uh, here we are in Lisbon. We've been here for almost a year, and there are, a, there are hundreds of thousands of expats living in Lisbon, people from all over the world that have come to live in Lisbon. Um, he said 85% percent of Portuguese people are, know are like fluent in English. So, like we're living here, a lot of people speak English, um, most Portuguese speak English, um, but here's the problem, while there are several solid churches reaching the Portuguese-speaking population with the gospel, there's basically no solid English-speaking churches trying to reach English speakers in Lisbon. Um, most of them are charismatic, or they're liberal, But there are really no gospel preaching, Bible preaching churches trying to to reach the English speaking population here, which is like 10 percent of the population. Lisbon's about three million. There's about three hundred thousand expats in Lisbon. So he said, my question is, would you ask, you know, the upper, you know, the brass at MTW whether or not they send missionaries to to plant churches among international populations? I said, "Well, Jason, I will." I said, "As far as I know, that's not something that I know that we do. Typically, we send missionaries into host countries, you enculturate, you learn the language, and you reach the indigenous population. That's kind of our bread and butter. That's what we do. I hope, by the way, I hope it's what we continue to do as an organization." But I said, "I don't really know that we do what you're asking, but I'll." A- I said, "You know, I'm going to have a conversation next week with a man named David Stoddard, who's over all of MTW Europe, and uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of other things. But I'll ask him." So I had that conversation with David the next week and uh, I asked Jason's question and David said, well, um, I'll tell you what, John, um, it it isn't something historically we've done a lot of, but I will tell you that in the last few years, MTW has begun to shift and we've started to realize that um, globalization is, is not just something, it's not just a word we talk about on an academic level, it's real. Um, and he said the reality is the world is coming to the big cities of Europe and North America. And we as a mission organization, along with other mission organizations, have determined that we have to start taking this, this reality seriously in terms of how we think about reaching uh, various demographics. And so we're having to start thinking of the global nomads as a demographic all their own to reach And so he said, actually, we um, uh, had a MTW church planter down in Bogota, Colombia, who planted a very successful international church in Bogota uh, over the last eight or nine years. And he said he's now handing that church off to another pastor. And he and his family are getting ready to leave Bogota and move to Oslo, Norway, (laughs) very different place, to do it all over again. And so uh, um, he said... In addition to that, we have a new international church plant taking place in Latvia, uh, Riga, Riga, Latvia, as well as one that we're targeting in Brussels, Belgium, which is a very international city. Um, So we said this is something we're starting to do. We're starting to consider that need. So here's kind of just some stats on international church planting. In 2000, the number of international migrants around the world was 150 million. 20 years later, in 2020, that number was 272 million, which is an increase of a little over 80%. That's from the UN's 2020 World Migration Report. And so mission agencies are realizing that global nomads are becoming a demographic all their own. Uh, This little graphic over on the right is just a a picture of recent European church plants, international church plants, uh, done by the Missional International Church Network, MICN. So why do global nomads move? Well, two-thirds of them move either because their businesses ask them to or there's just better working conditions somewhere else. That accounts for about two-thirds of migration. Uh, the other third move, because of war or persecution, or to escape something at home they just don't want to have to deal with anymore. Of course we're seeing that. you're seeing examples of that right now, of course, very much so with the Ukrainian war. But that was already very much the case with the war in Syria. It's still been going on for many, many years, um, as well as uh, ISIS and, thing, uh, uh, and what's been going on in the Middle East um, conflict in North Africa. Technology, of course, increasingly allows both those groups to kind of mix. And we're seeing this with what, you know, we might call the COVID effect, but people just kind of realizing, hey, listen, I can actually work from home. My boss is okay with me working from home. I can pretty much do a lot of what I have to do with a computer. And that means I can kind of live wherever I want and still keep my job. And more and more people are in that, uh, in that, that situation. And so people are like, I don't want to live in my really, really expensive city or I don't want to live in a place that maybe has increasing crime or whatever it is. So I've got the money to go live in a city that I want to live in. So I'm going to go do that. And so that's kind of the COVID sort of proved. I don't think COVID made the world that way. I think COVID sort of helped the world realize it kind of already was that way. (laughs) And so you've got people who are sort of uh, taking advantage of that. So kind of the way that I like to talk about it is that you're kind of seeing in the Western world what we might think of as kind of a Romanizing effect, meaning that what you're seeing in Europe and North America is kind of a demographic effect that looked a lot like the Mediterranean world looked like when the church came on the scene. And here's what I mean by that. At that point in the first century, uh, when uh, the book of Acts and all the the events in the book of Acts are taking place, um, the Roman Empire had fully established itself, um, and as a result of the establishment of the empire, what you had was all these ethnic, you know, tribal populations around the Mediterranean that had been separated from one another for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, are now all of a sudden integrated. Because the Roman Empire comes along, and it conquers the whole Mediterranean basin, but then what happens after that is Rome comes along and says, you know what, you guys can keep some of your local autonomous government, you guys can keep your tribal traditions, you can keep even your language, but we're going to build roads through all of your lands, and we're going to connect the empire through commerce. We're going to connect the empire economically. And so what that meant was all of a sudden you had all of these tribal groups and ethnic populations that were mixing together. And they're able to travel from one side of the Mediterranean world to the other really quickly for the first time ever, like in history. And so what you saw was basically commerce starts uh, exerting this unifying effect throughout the Mediterranean world. Um, While a lot of tribal groups kept their tribal languages, they did have to learn some kind of language that allowed all of them to buy and sell, and that language was Koine Greek, which is why the New Testament's written in Koine Greek. Um, You had to know some Koine Greek if you wanted to buy and sell in the Mediterranean world, and in a sense, what you're finding in our world is that English is kind of becoming that language. Um, a lot of countries, a lot of particularly smaller countries around the world, but even bigger ones too, people want to learn English. And they don't just want to learn English so they can, you know, watch American movies or whatever. Um, They want to learn English because their chances at getting a better job, at getting a job that allows them to uh, interact with different global uh, economic hubs or businesses increases dramatically if they learn English. So everyone wants to at least learn some English um, around the world um, because of that. Of course, you're seeing something similar happen with Mandarin as well. But you're seeing English as sort of a lingua franca from a business standpoint around the world. Um, And uh, so you're seeing that happen as these various ethnic populations move to the major cities of Europe and even the major cities of, of North America. Certainly seeing it in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and have been for, for quite some time. So in response to this rapidly changing global situation, MTW Europe is seeking to plant four new international churches in the next couple of years. Talked about that a second ago. So then the question is, what about us? I'm getting it going here. (laughs) <laughs> so in 2021, there was a little over 285,000 expats living in the greater Lisbon area, and now that number is over 300,000. And while some English-speaking churches exist, almost all of these are charismatic or liberal. kind of mentioned this a minute ago, so you don't see any conservative, reformed English-speaking church uh, that exists in Lisbon. Um, we, in fact, we don't even really know of any non-reformed English-speaking churches that are committed to scriptural authority uh, in the area either. Um, the only other Christian witness, of course, is Catholicism, the vast majority of which is, is very nominal. So, um, again, we know, we know a few uh, solid Portuguese-speaking churches and the pastors in those churches that we're building relationships with some great pastors uh, that are reaching the Portuguese population, but you don't have anyone really re- reaching the, en- the English-speaking population with, with the gospel. And that, again, that population, is not, it's not just a bunch of Americans living in Lisbon. Um, in fact, what you've got in Lisbon are um, Angolans, Mozambicans, um, Ukrainians, um, Chinese, um, British, French, German, Scandinavian, Brazilians, um, all over, from all over the world, that, and some of them speak Portuguese, but most of them don't, but they all speak usually a little or even a lot of English. I'll move past this one just for the sake of time, I think. I am, it's okay. Just can't quite get it. That's okay. <laughs> uh, the previous the previous slide, actually, just can't get There it is. Um, this gentleman right here, Tiago Oliveira, he is actually one of those Portuguese pastors that's got a solid Portuguese-speaking church, but he also is the head of the Martin Busser Seminary in Lisbon. And uh, we actually would hope to work with him. We've had some good conversations with him, and he would love to. For, for me to be able to sort of join him in his work at his seminary and be able to teach some classes there sort of on the side. But what, what, we're, what we're looking to do is to go to Lisbon and plant an international church um, so that Lisbon sort of becomes the fourth city in Europe that MTW is sort of using to target the international population. Um, this down here on the lower right is a picture of, the interna- of an international church that we attended for a brief period in Bulgaria before we left. Um, and it was it's so amazing. I mean, there's a church there of, oh, probably about a hundred people. But in that room that we would meet in, much smaller than this one, you had Brazilians there. Um, actually, you, you probably, I'm sure you can't tell in this picture, but there, the, the far back is a, is a brilliant Ukrainian piano player. He's an amazing piano player. And right next, standing right next to him is a Russian playing a bass guitar. Which, to have a Ukrainian and a Russian working together to lead worship uh, in Bulgaria, which is very close to both of those countries, um, is really something. right? Um, also in that room, you had Nigerians, you had Kenyans, uh, we had Australians, um, Brazilians, I think I said, um, uh, we had some people from uh, um, Southeast Asia, uh, we had uh, Vietnam, we had a um, the woman there on the, far upper on the right standing on the uh, front row is from the Netherlands, okay, so you, you have people from all, all the continents <laughs> coming together in about a group of 100 people to worship uh, together on a Sunday morning uh, in English. Because they all know that language, even if that's not their first language. Um, This has been an important passage for us as we just think about. Here's Paul's sermon to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. And just Paul's view that God is in control of all the nations and where they move and who rises and who falls. And when one group moves to another another area, he's determined their boundaries and their dwelling places at all times Um, And just through the image of God in all of us, um, we all uh, um, have a sense of the divine, don't we? We all have a sense of the divine. Uh, uh, We're built for him, and he's actually not that far from each one of us, Paul says. And yet, it's through only the knowledge of Christ and what Christ has come to do for us that we can know who this God is and to know him as our Savior and to worship him. And that's, of course, what Paul's doing in Athens. And uh, in a very cosmopolitan city of his day. And it's what we want to do as well. So we would ask for you all to pray for us. To pray Colossians 4. Uh, these verses from Colossians 4 for us. Um, that God would open up to us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which Paul was saying I was in prison. That, I'm, that we would make it clear as he sought to make it clear um, which is what uh, God would lo- want us to do as his servants, as his proclaimers. So right now we're sort of in the p- position we're raising a little bit more support every month. That number actually should go down. We've The Lord's been good to us and allow us to to chip into that number a little bit, but we're probably somewhere around seeking to raise about another $800 a month and new support, and that's really to kind of make up for some of the support we've lost over the last four years. But also... Uh, costs will go up a little bit more in Lisbon compared to whether they were in Sofia, Bulgaria. Um, so that's kind of what we're doing doing now. Some of our information, those are the numbers that we have, our temporary numbers here in Dallas, as well as our email address and our website. We'll just leave that up here sort of at the end. I don't know how much time I've got, but we'd love to take any questions we have with the time we've got. Oh, great.
0: Sure. I, I, I want to hear how you guys. Do. Yeah.
1: Are doing yeah. yeah. Thanks. That's good. You want to chat? You want to address that? Actually, I'll, I'll switch places with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a chance to talk. to talk. Usually, Ellen and I like to split that presentation up more than we did, but we. <laughs> Amy's having a harder morning. A little bit more going on okay. this
2: morning. So how are we doing? Um, I mean, we have a lot to thank the Lord for. Um, I mean, as John shared, like he provided when we were living in Bulgaria, you know, for our needs in big ways and through a really hard COVID season, um, you know, it's usually the hard things that he brings uh, in your life to wake you up to other things, and so as far as how we're doing you know the lord's done a lot of stuff in us Um, we by his mercy and by his grace we trust that he's done things through us and so but um, a lot of the time we have felt very weak and i think we shared that going into bulgaria that we knew we would feel that way i mean even going in with a child with special needs that put us in a position of um, extra neediness um, but we've seen the Lord provide, and so we do feel great hope and thankfulness in the position of dependence that he's put us in. Um, as, as many of you know, s- some of the hardest times that he brings in your life, you go, okay, I, I'm really delighting in you more, Lord. I'm finding more joy in you in feeling weak. Um, uh, we've been learning to sit in waiting and sit in uncertainty. Um, that's been a big thing for our family this last year um, uncertainty for our oldest, uh, who's transitioning. She's 14 and, you know, moving into closer to high school. Um, and so she's had to trust the Lord for relationships that can get really tough as it is for most junior hires leading into high school. Um, that's been a particular area where she's had to trust the Lord. Um, uh, yeah, but we are really, really thankful at this point to be moving, uh, to Portugal we're really thankful for the time and season of praying and waiting to see what God would do and confirming that he wants to use our gifts and um, John's in particular to preaching and teaching and moving back more into pastoral ministry even though theological education is still big on both of our hearts because we love that area of ministry and the, the doors of conversation it opens especially so um yeah um On the big picture, that's probably because some of the thoughts about how we're doing. So, we're here until January 15. Um, We've been in Dallas the longest because we have deep roots here. Um, And then we've spent some time in Oklahoma where John grew up. And then we will spend time in Kansas coming up. And then get to spend about another week here in Dallas before we leave uh, in January. Yeah. um we're pretty tired <laughs> so as far as tank filling full i feel like it feels pretty empty on a lot of levels but that's been good i mean mtw they are really good we just we just went to atlanta a few weeks ago for team leadership assessment and so they spend a lot of time you know finding out where you're at taking you know retaking mental health exams talking with counselors and so we have gotten a lot of advice and support from MTW in the position that we've been in, in a kind of draining uh, stage of things with lots of transitions and moves. And, um, so yeah, I think our plan is to, um, kind of regroup in a restful, hopefully spiritual restful sort of way. Um, just coming to the States and being with you all, um, worshiping in English, getting to fellowship. I think the Lord has been really gracious and been using that, um, in an empty tank because um, you can be in a really beautiful place like Bulgaria or Portugal, and um, and we've experienced this just from going to the international church. Um, um, everything can kind of feel falling apart in your life, or it can feel really good in lots of aspects, but if that spiritual element of church fellowship isn't there, your tank can get drained really, really fast. And so one of the priorities for us going to Portugal will be to uh, meet regularly with Christians, um, and I think that will be part of the the uh, uh, recipe for you know refilling our tank is to have regular fellowship with the believers there. And expats are hungry for it; um, we're all hungry for it, and so that's really exciting. Um, that we'll not be alone in that. Um, I think most expats feel that when they're living overseas and missionaries. Um, yeah.
0: How How do your girls feel about moving to Lisbon?
2: Are you excited how, how do you feel about going to Portugal? do you are you ready to move to Portugal yeah. that, are you just quick Are you going to go to a new school Yes
1: that one day you're going to Portugal and a taxes card
2: have is not Portugal we have some card
0: have a baby. <laughs>
2: She likes to tell stories, yes. Yeah. So she's been excited to go to a new school. Um, she knows she's getting older. She was aging out of her other ones. So she's excited to go to school. She's very social, as you can tell. Yeah, and Aubrey is is looking. She's very social as well. So our girls are uh, used to interacting with the international community, and they're ready to jump in, I Great. think. Yeah. it's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm glad that MGW sort of uh, emphasizes this in their – their counseling and things like that I mean part of any sort of transition even if it's something that you're excited to go do you're you're always going to grieve the losses of of what you're leaving behind and so um MTW really encourages that like just you have to sort of go through the grief you can't pretend like it's all wonderful pretending like it's all wonderful is not going to make it wonderful um it's just not the way it works so you got to grieve what it is you're leaving behind. And that's certainly been a part of our, of our experience. I mean, so Aubrey grieved leaving here when we went to Bulgaria, but then accepted the new reality, made friends, uh, made really deep connections. And Bulgaria was her home from about the age of 10 to 14, which are really formative years. And now she's grieving again because it's like, well, I'm leaving these, these, these friends, right? that's the only it's the only way to make those kinds of transitions Um, it's not you know sort of the stiff upper lip pretend like everything's fine it's not going to make it fine and so um, delayed grief can be worse than just entering into it so I think that's what that's what she's doing and that's what we're doing too so there's a sense in which it's like yeah it is sad because it's like we we did go there thinking we'd be there much longer Um, but the Lord had other plans and certainly COVID played a role in that too like it has uh, been a big thing for everybody but yeah, so just, that's that's that great. That's helpful.
0: Yeah, um, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about you're going to plant the church? Is that how is this? You're the church planner. You're mm-hmm. you're going to be the pastor, right? Um, give us a picture of how this will be different than if you were planting a church in
1: in Dallas. You know what I mean? Like, give us sure. give us a picture of that. Absolutely. And in fact, that touches on it. The the it touches on the slide we actually skipped because I wasn't sure if we'd have time for it. Um, but um, I think really planting a church almost anywhere in Europe is going to feel pretty different than planting a church in most places in the US and certainly in, in the South or in Texas. And part of that just comes down to like people's, just the interpersonal nature of culture. And here, here's kind of a, we could talk about that like for weeks, but maybe one, one thing we could sort of touch on. Um, in a lot of American culture and certainly in Texas, if you think about people having basically two walls, Right. So you have your outer wall and you got your inner wall. And in say like in Texas, people have low outer walls. We we'll let people into our space. Oh, we'd love to see you, love to get to know you. Why don't you come by the house? Love to have you over for dinner. Love to you know, there's sort of we're we're, we're incentivized in our culture to have low outer walls, to be friendly, to be warm, to be kind. Um, even commerce incentivizes us to be that way with each other, right? But we've got some really high inner walls here. And to get to know the real me, you better bring your, 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 your grappling hook and your ladder, right? Because I'm not going to let you over that inner wall until I get to, you know, only a few people get over that wall. But you can come in and out my outer wall all the time, right? And that's kind of the way culture is here. All we kind of learned is that in Europe, it's a little different. So in Europe, um, certainly this was the case in Bulgaria, but it's, it's true in lots of places in Europe. They have a high outer wall. And so for Americans, you can go to Europe and go, man, people are just kind of mean over there. It's like, people are just kind of rude. And it's like, well, it's not so much that they're rude. It's just that they're not talking to you like you are their friend because you're not. <laughs> right? So it's kind of like I have a high outer wall because, like, why should I sit here in the grocery line and talk to you like we're friends? I don't know who you are. You don't know who I am. So as a result, I got a high outer wall. You got your high outer wall. We're all got our high outer walls. We're just living reality in, 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 in light of that, right? Um, but the re- But here's the other side of that. Once you get over that high outer wall, much lower inner wall. Right. So once you sort of prove that you're kind of a trustworthy person and, oh, actually, you're kind of an interesting person. Oh, I've kind of like to get to know you. All of a sudden, you're talking about this person's, you know, issues. And let me tell you what it was like living with my mother. And I mean, mean, all of a sudden, you're kind of talking about like some real stuff, like fast, quickly, in ways that much quicker sometimes than you would with Americans, actually. And um, so it's kind of that dynamic sort of shapes the way that you think about and approach even things like church planting or getting to know people in the context of a Bible study or something like that. And so what you don't really wanna do in Europe, which is something you typically do in a place like Texas, is sort of show up with like church in a box, right? So it's like here, you show up and you're like, we're gonna put on a big program. Let me just take out all the programs out of this box. All the things that are cool and flashy and make it look like we know what, we've, what you know what's going on. We're going to invite people to the big church show. And everybody's going to come to the big church show. They're going to be wowed by our church show. And they're going to go, wow, that's a good place. I think I, I, I like going there. It seems like they know what's what going on. I like their program. Um, I'm ready to trust my, my children to them. I'm ready to go there every week and just be wowed by, by their programs. That works in a lot of American contexts. In Europe, that looks really fake. Yeah. So in Europe, if you show up to sort of plant church that way, you might have some people that come along for like a few weeks and go, what is all this about? Oh, well, okay. Seems kind of weird. And they just kind of move on. Right. So when you're planting a church in Europe, you really, really, really have to be relational. And you have to be authentic and real in such a way that people are, people recognize you're not putting on a show you don't have big flashy programs at least to begin with you're just, you're just a person that I think I'd like to get to know and so you, what you do is you sort of build relationships more slowly uh, so for instance in Portugal we know one thing Portuguese people love to do and the people in that culture is they love book clubs they love book clubs right? so we plan on going over there and probably having some book clubs right? We plan on going over there and just have people that love to get together and just talk about stuff. It doesn't even have to be at least religious in nature to begin with, but maybe you just get together and you read a novel together and you get together and talk about it, and you see where those conversations go. Um, Or uh, they love to get together and talk about um, art. They love to get together and talk about lots of different issues and things, and that's kind of an enjoyable thing for, for the culture to do. So as a result you kind of enter in that way um, through sort of slow relational development and and sort of then, then you kind of kind of move from there to sort of inviting people to, well, listen, what if we started talking about Ecclesiastes? Let's get together, read through Ecclesiastes, That's a weird book. Let's get together and read through that and talk about what's going on in Ecclesiastes or something like that. So you could make those sort of transitions. Um, to be able to to begin inviting people to something that you're doing. Um, but I think one one of the things that we want to be able to do is we want to be able to have church, a church plant that is um, liturgical, um, that has um, forms of worship that a lot of people in evangelical circles over there are not used to at all. Uh, but to do it in sort of a very authentic way to explain why we're doing what we're doing in the service. Um, to sort of bring together um, liturgical forms of worship in but very personable, very warm, very welcoming uh, ways. And we think that will be very well received actually among uh, the people there as we at least as we understand it now. Um, uh, the other The other thing is, uh, I think I showed we showed the picture of the Owsleys a minute ago. They've been there now for about a year and a half, kind of gotten their feet certainly a lot more wet than ours are, and gotten to know different people there. And I would guess once we arrive, um, just for our good and their good, and some of the other uh, evangelical families they know, I mean, I think we'll probably just start meeting in their living room, and worshiping together, just because we need it. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the Lord will do with that. We won- we probably will not start doing that from some grand strategic reason uh, behind our church planting philosophy, but really just to do it because we need it. Yeah um, just, just, just for our own spiritual survival and health. Um, and who knows what will happen, uh, sort of out, out of that. Uh, I think there's another, some other families that have indicated they'd like to kind of be a part of that as well. So, um, That's we'll see great. How
0: we'll see how that goes. I love that. Love that picture of what it means to plant a church there. What, are, what questions do you guys have? We have time for one or two questions before we pray. Yes, ma'am. Donna.
2: Um, the wonderful part is that there are a lot of school options in Portugal they're much more Western and c- kind of like the US uh, like for Emmy they would make an IEP program an individualized um, plan for her so that she could uh, be worked with but then stay in an integrated situation and so that is a part of the public school system and a part of um, numerous international schools that are there and so really at this point it's a matter of Um, seeing what door the Lord opens up for school for her to go to she's on the waiting list for one that we definitely know is a good option and then another one that we're in conversation with and then of course the public school option Um, and so uh, potentially the girls will go to the same school so we're hoping that's true just because it would be nice to really dig deep into those relationships and not be too divided that way just because we're human and so yeah um, we're excited about that School options that are there, and there are quite a few. So yeah, I can just pray for discernment, and we'll know the right spot
0: to put them. Any other questions? Yeah, Rachel.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, they're your typical expats. So as far as work goes. Um, he's just working online, doing contract work. He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. So he, he, mm-hmm. he works
1: in law. That's what he was doing here. He was back 10, 10, 10, 10 mm-hmm. years. And so he's just continuing. He's just basically working in contract, like a contract lawyer.
2: Um, they've been attending a Portuguese uh, church and um, just trying to make that work for now. But then they've done just a lot of they're very hospitable. They're networkers. So they've really been trying to touch base with a lot of expats. And, um, and so they bring that huge element to the table as far as research and having um, some solid relationships already built. Yeah. So we're thankful for that.
1: Lenore does work, uh, sorry, Lenore does work for Jason. So they work together. When, when they lived here, she was into, she was doing real estate and he was at uh, Texas Instruments as a lawyer. Now um, she is paid a paid worker with with what he does in terms of uh, his his legal contract work, but um, I think one of the things they really do like about being over there is they work far less, and so over here they were working a tremendous amount, and they were just ready for a pretty significant change of pace, yeah. In terms of just how busy they were, that's one of the things they are appreciating about being over there. Yeah. And
2: the other thing that is really wonderful and a gift from God is they've been a part of international church plants before when they yeah. lived in Germany. And um mm-hmm. so yeah, they bring that to the table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. One last question, James, go ahead. Oh um
1: several weeks ago a um German a missionary M T W missionary to Germany visited us and mentioned Martin Booser's seminary in Germany. Yes. And you mentioned Martin Booser in are those connected? Okay, yeah. Um, this is Ben Graber. I was going to ask if that was Ben. Yeah, yeah. Um, they—they're not. They—I think they talked about it. <laughs> so I think that Martin Booser in Portugal realized, hey, there's somebody with our name over in Germany. I wonder if we should do uh, get together. And they had a long conversation as institutions about that. And I think there was just too many walls. Uh, with regards to accreditation and some other things that just weren't going to work um, that, on a logistical side, uh, but but they're basically doing much the same thing and have um, very similar theological identity, uh, and, and obviously decided to name themselves after the same reformer. <laughs> but um, yeah, but they're they're not they're not um, they're not institutionally connected. But yeah, um, John,
0: how would someone get on your email list? How would they stay connected to what you guys are doing if they're not? already getting those updates.
1: Yeah. So this email address right there, burgers.mtwpt at gmail, if you would send us an email there, we would love to just put we can just put you put you on our on our list. You can also go through MTW's website and just put our name in the search engine and navigate to our page and and you can sign up uh, through 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 that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: but we did bring updated Uh, support cards, paper cards that have a little area where you can fill in stuff. It says you can mail it in, but you can just leave it on the table and we'll pick it up and take it with us if you want to leave your email or phone number any way you want to get connected. And then there's also magnets um, that have the MTW website and our new email address on there so we can get connected that way. Yeah, but thanks for having us and we would love to yeah, just get more connected with y'all.
0: Love it. We are glad that you guys are here. The burgers will be here for worship. Um, So there'll be some time between now and worship to ask them questions and and follow up with them. And then they'll be available after worship as well um, to have conversations and chat with you guys. So I know they're excited to to meet you. So come and greet them this morning. Let me pray for you guys. Let me do that. Um, Father, do you pray for John and Alan? It's great to hear about what you have um, in store for them. I'm thankful for their um, perseverance. And we know that that's a gift. Um, not that they have summoned up within themselves, um, but it's a gift of your spirit um, to endure what has been, I think it sounds like, challenging a season in Bulgaria, certainly not um, all the things that they hoped or expected that it might be. Um, and yet, Lord, you have provided for them um, a new opportunity, um, a new place to go um, and to proclaim the gospel. And we're grateful to hear about the opportunities that, um, are coming to be um, for M- MTW in different um, major cities of Europe um, to plant um, churches that are English-speaking. I'm thankful for how that um, really creates a context where John can be a pastor again um, in a direct kind of way and in a new way, um, a new place, and to lead a church, uh, Lord. And so we pray um, that you would bless this endeavor, um, that you would bless um, this opportunity. I pray for Ellen, I pray for um, Aubrey, I pray for Emmy, Father, I um, pray for John, um, just as a family, uh, Lord, that you would provide for them in Portugal, that you would provide um, Christian friendships. Mm-hmm. thankful to hear about the small um, community that already exists of believers there that they can uh, deepen relationships with and, and become a part of and, and even begin to, um, to pastor and to lead in different ways. I pray that mm-hmm. that would be the case. I pray, Lord, that you would um, give them um, that community, um, very quickly even, Mm. a small community um, in Portugal and Lisbon Mm. that would grow um, into something greater. Mm. I pray um, for their remaining month or so they have here in the States, Lord. Bless them, watch over them, and prepare their hearts um, for this Mm. new opportunity. Um, I pray that there would be a sweetness of their time um, here with family and friends um, before Mm. they return. Um, to europe i pray that you would bless and provide for them we pray also for these um, support raising needs that they have another um, eight hundred dollars a month or so that they need in regular support lord pray that you would provide um, those who would be willing to uh, be a part of that churches and individuals um, to help meet that need we pray for all these things in christ's name amen 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 all right 15 minutes or so we'll start worship You're just-